Welcome back to Night Cheese. I'm Steven. And I'm Tim. And we want to welcome you back to uh, another episode in our series of Christopher Nolan directed films. Uh, this episode titled Nolan Shoots for the Stars. Uh, here we are today covering the 2014 film Interstellar. Um, we want to thank everybody who has been along for the ride with us uh, through Inception and most recently our Dark Knight trilogy with dear friend of the podcast jared for him joining uh joining us in that and, and uh, all his his good insights and uh that conversation was a lot of fun yeah. um we're planning to have jared back with us uh for those of you who enjoyed that episode for when we're done with mr nolan we're going to tackle the hbo series the leftovers so uh please yeah looking forward to that that's i'm gonna need some positive vibes that's going to be a depressing episode but we'll, we'll get there <laughs> later yeah. uh there's a lot of feelings in that show yeah. um so yeah, Interstellar, uh, Tim. Um, where do we start? Oh man, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think um, before we get d- dig too deep into this, uh, one thing Tim and I have agreed on in this little project of ours to rewatch Nolan's films is that we could have titled this series "Better Than I Remember." Better than I remember. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. You know, if it's been a while since you've seen any of these Nolan films, or if you or even skipped over a few of them. Um, yeah. For only the big ones, I, I highly recommend. There has not, there's not been a bad one in the bunch. Even uh, the ones that I did not remember too, too fondly, uh, yeah. Insomnia being one of them. And uh, and and to be honest, Interstellar. While I remember yeah. enjoying it visually, um, as time moved on, uh, you know, it was kind of diminishing with me a bit. So I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't really hold it that closely but yeah. upon second or third viewing I, I don't actually remember how many times i'd seen it this might have only been the second time um <laughs> it's just uh man ah, yeah. it is it yeah. is incredible this one much like inception and other films i went in totally expecting to be uh more let down you know i, I expected to find a lot more of the cracks and a lot more of the things that would bug me and while there you know there's there's imperfections here and there I feel like consistently each of Nolan's films, I am, I'm drawn more to them watching them this time around. And I really, there's a lot of stuff I really enjoy about them. And, um, interstellar is, is pretty much in that same category. I, I, I enjoyed this thoroughly. Yeah. So, um, it is a boy, it is an interesting concept. Um, so apparently I'm, I'm seeing this now and reading more about the, the plot. Um, I, I didn't recall rem- noticing what year it was, but it certainly mm-hmm. seemed in the not too distant future. It's set to be n- just about 50 years from now, okay. um, in the year 2067. And, um, it's, uh, before, well, before I get into that, let's, uh, take care of a few details. So, uh, yeah. this is the, um, uh, Matthew McConaughey vehicle. He is the lead character, uh, Cooper or Coop of short. And, um, also in this film, um, two, Nolan alumni at Mm -hmm. this point, uh, Anne Hathaway and Michael and the ever present Michael Caine. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and yeah, as also, uh, uh, John Lithgow, uh, making his first Nolan appearance Mm -hmm. that I can remember, uh, and Jessica Chastain as well. Um, and a few, a few others, uh, come into play, um, also, but, uh, so the, um, wow. So, so, uh, McConaughey's character is a former uh, NASA pilot. 
um, who is now a Midwestern farmer, which sounds like a bit of a strange, you know, uh, job pivot, I guess. <laughs> but um, you come to find that as years have moved on, that the interest and both, both I say governmentally and, and in the, um, you know, mind's eye of the, of the public, the interest in space travel has, has waned a mm. lot. Um, yeah. And, uh, and there's, I want to talk more about that in a minute <laughs> for yeah. sure. Um, but so there is an issue that uh, arises in that um, basically um, we're seeing like a resurgence of the Dust Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, from, from the early 20th century, um, which is where sto- dust storms uh, and crop blights just kind of ravage, uh, ravage the Midwest. But you get the idea that this is happening, happening on a global scale mm-hmm. um, because uh, they keep talking about all these different crops that have completely gone away and, um, and, and the earth is having a, food, a massive food shortage with no hope for survival. So... Um, after a series of events, <laughs> our <laughs> former NASA pilot, uh, Matthew McConaughey, is um, recruited by an underground uh, but still functional NASA who has a secret, a top secret mission to go out into space beyond our solar system to uh, try to find another habitable planet um, so that humanity can go on and survive. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It, it is, um, and so there, it's 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 a space adventure, uh, so to speak. But it's it's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like you know we, we talked about this with Inception, about it being sort of. Uh, I think um, even in our episode descriptions, uh, I wrote that I might have used the phrase gourmet cheeseburger too much. <laughs> um, but this is definitely an elevated space travel film. Um, yeah, one thing that I've really come to respect about Nolan is that when he takes on a a difficult topic in the hands of a lesser director they would just say oh well let's just do this because i want to do this in the story whether it makes sense to things now i'm not mm-hmm. saying everything that you see in inception uh excuse me interstellar is something that is scientifically possible but um but in reading and we can get into this after we really get done talking about the movie proper tim mm-hmm. but uh i've read that you know they've worked very closely with um with a a, a scientist a scientist um about the the physics and the and the uh, and the science of it all and also like he basically he basically got into an argument with nolan saying that um he he said if if he was going to help them with the film they had to follow physical laws and if there was any wild speculation that happened in the narrative of the story it would have to spring from something that's actually scientifically viable mm-hmm. so like even the yeah. even even the crazy stuff that happens in the film i think has a theoretical basis i am mm-hmm. skeptical I will say I'm skeptical of the climax in that, but yeah. that's just a different, uh, I mean, like not skeptical enough to be like, Oh, this movie's trash. Yeah. Um, I think they actually earn that, but upon further viewings, I'd say they earn the, the craziness of the climax. To me. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, here I go again, running off at the, at the races <laughs> here, but, um, Tim, what, what, um, what are your initial thoughts on, on interstellar? Yeah, so, you know, Nolan has this really, 
one of my first thoughts, one of the things that really impressed me is always has he always has these grand ideas, or at least most of us there's always these big premises. Um, but he is able to create this foundation of sort of like an emotional core to really keep you invested through the film. So these big ideas, even if they're kind of too heady and conceptual, you know, confusing conceptually, because he does deal with a lot of, oh man, a lot of science-y relativity, you know, physics. I mean, he, a lot of things are just kind of can go over your head, but he, he really keeps this emotional core there. And he did that even like an inception, you know, with Cobb and his wife who passed and um, just a lot of films in the, in the uh, that he's done in the past. He kind of he has a way of keeping you invested. So that was one of the things that really stood out to me is uh, at least initially like I I'm I'm really there for the I mean I I love the 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 visuals the 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 big ideas I think that's what Nolan does really well but the fact that he he can kind of keep you invested and in actually caring about these characters through the film I really I'm always really impressed with yeah you know um, I hope this makes sense to our listeners uh, and to you but. <laughs> Um, Interstellar might be simultaneously Nolan's biggest and smallest film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we saw his sort of baby steps and we went a little out of order to accommodate the Batman trilogy, but mm-hmm. we saw his sort of baby steps of getting bigger with his set locations. Uh, you know, the jump from the, particularly, I remember the jump from Memento to Insomnia, uh, and then going from sort of you know, going from like the prestige to Batman to the mm-hmm. Batman, you know, going to these bigger cities and stuff. And then eventually we get to inception, which is just huge. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you want to go into dreams. Well, now we're going into the endless void of space. <laughs> and I just remember seeing, I still sticks with me. This one visual of their, of their ship oh. in proportional range in front of the planet Saturn. Yeah. Oh, and man, like that is a shot made for an IMAX screen. Mm. And it's just fantastic. And, you know, Tim, Tim touched on this and said it really well, you know, this, it can be really scientific and it can be really heady, but the, you know, one way I would submit that Nolan accomplishes keeping the viewer, um, connected to the film is that all of the characters motivations are ridiculously simple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and norm, and, and again, in a lesser filmmaker's hands, that would be a little, um, too simplistic, and kind of, you know, uh, undervalue the movie, but you have so much to think about and the characters have so much to think about with what they're trying to accomplish. Just knowing that they're all pretty much simply motivated by two things, the survival of humanity and like getting reunited with the person or persons that they love. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's it. Like there's really just nothing more than that. And there doesn't need to be anything more than that because Mm -hmm. surprisingly enough, I, I, (laughs) With with all of the drama and intrigue that Nolan is able to create in his films, I think this film felt like it had the highest stakes to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I can credit that to the performances. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, I I have been beating the dead horse of Christopher Nolan cannot create an interesting and intelligent female character yeah. uh, to save his life. Although... Mm-hmm. Uh, now that I've gotten here, I do want to say I think that he finally struck gold and he managed to do it twice mm-hmm. in the same film. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know who was helping him out. Um, yeah. 
I said that they may, <laughs> maybe it just did a good job, but Aunt, both Anne Hathaway and Jessica Chastain were, were great. Um, in this film now they yeah. you know they were not leading characters um, uh, Hathaway I mean Hathaway more so than, than Chester yeah. but um, they both did great I, I yeah. bought into both of them and man um, I want to find hey, while you're I wanna, looking up yeah. I, I, I had a thought this week after or I guess I say this week I had a thought after watching Interstellar which was like yesterday and today Um <laughs> I don't know if this may contribute to the problem with um, with his particular female characters, but I one thing I just thought about while watching Interstellar is most of Nolan's films involve a male protagonist who has lost a spouse. That like, is true. you know, in Memento, that's a lot of, you know, that's yeah. some of the main, th- I feel like that's a lot of the main thrust of, of the film. That's kind of the something that kind of happens at the beginning or you don't see it, but it's happened and it's kind of, propelling the male protagonist forward and i don't know i was just thinking like you know with memento propelling you know got you know here's his character the prestige inception that that really makes me want to check on him and make sure he's okay yeah um (laughs) i was just checking no so he's been married to emma thompson not emma thompson not emma thompson sorry (laughs) not not her uh emma thomas um they met in college and she apparently has been a producer on all oh, of wow. his films. They have four children and they live in LA. So, okay. good for hey. um, so yeah, he, um, <laughs> also <laughs> Nolan prefers not to use a cell phone or an email address. <laughs> well, okay. He, he just says, it's not that I'm a Luddite and don't like technology. I've just never been interested. Uh, I like I like how he says when I moved to LA in '97, nobody really had cell phones, and I just never went down that path. Yeah. What? I just never Who went had down cell that. phones in '97. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like. <laughs> wow. I just never went down that path. We're not asking if you wore like a chain yeah. wallet in the '90s. <laughs> like, this is a what in oh the world? Okay, well, cargo I'm, shorts, man. I never <laughs> tell you, man. When he was a dad, he he didn't want to buy those New Balances, I guess. What do you, um, <laughs> oh, well, man. I was gonna say, um, pivoting to the performances here, Matthew McConaughey. Um, mm. This was, uh, you know, that they jokingly called it the McConaissance, you know, when he had this uh, this this sort of resurgence yeah. from from romantic comedies and sort of you know action mm-hmm. films or just sort of jokey things where he can say all right all right all right you oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> so into into like just back-to-back really heavy-hitting films yeah. like he had done and i'm gonna go way out of order here but he had done like wolf of wall street yeah. dallas buyers club mm-hmm. and um met many other films even even lincoln lawyer was yeah. i mean a, a bit of a departure for him that and um mm, when before as well oh yeah same year as uh as uh interstellar 2 yeah time is a flat circle <laughs> yeah he uh yeah mm. yeah so um well that's interesting yeah um so anyway oh, uh, in the midst of all that uh nolan cast mcconaughey after seeing him in the 2012 film mud um he said it was an ideal moment for him when they landed McConaughey for the role. He says, I'm thrilled for him right now. I didn't know how much potential he had until I saw Mud, and not just as a leading man, but in sheer acting talent. He remarked that 
in that in McConaughey he needed an everyday man who can experience these extraordinary events. Wow. Uh, which so I stand by that quote, but that actually wasn't the quote that I was looking for. Um, he had, yeah. Here we go. Okay, so bear with me, listeners here. But so um, Nolan presented the American Cinema Tech Award to Matthew McConaughey. And Nolan said of him, I'm not a believer in the McConaissance. I think Matthew's success of late is the rest of us catching up to what he's been doing. Um, Jennifer, Jennifer Garner talked about two different movies that she'd done with him and explained that he'd given the same gravity and intensity to both genres. Quote, and I can tell you as a director, there's no question that this is a performer who can't say pass the salt without it being truthful without it meaning something. I've never worked with an actor so relentless in his pursuit of truth in everything he does. Nolan also recalled that while he was presenting the Knight's Award to McConaughey, he remembered how the super dad would play with Nolan's own kids while they were on set. And uh. he said, I find it extremely serious. I find him extremely serious, but my kids found him very amusing on his days off when he would build forts with them and his kids, thereby making me look like a slightly worse father. <laughs> um so it's it's a wonder i mean now granted he only had nolan has only done dunkirk and then tenet coming out now but it's a wonder he had i I could see him not casting mcconaughey for dunkirk since that's based on british events and world war ii and he probably would stick out like a sore thumb there but um you know i i I would not be surprised to see those two time up team up again yeah. If he's got such a uh, admiration for McConaughey. And I will say, like, he knocks it out of the park in this film. This is yeah. probably probably my favorite film of his. I mean, listen, mm. it's not a ton of heavy pickings <laughs> for, for, for what yeah, McConaughey's yeah. best film is. <laughs> he's done he's done a lot of really enjoyable films. You know, like a lot yeah. of fun films, a lot of things. Rarely has he done a film it has happened, but rarely has he done a film that it's over. And I'm like, well, never getting that time back. But, um, <laughs> uh, I, I can only think of once. And it was a romantic comedy that I did not enjoy that much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has, uh, but even, but he's made a lot of romantic comedies bearable. Um, he, mm-hmm. um, and he's, he's been really enjoyable and, and, and most everything he's done, but this, this really seemed, seems to be a bit above and beyond. Um, with this, uh, yeah. with Interstellar, and um, going back to saying, you know, his uh, connection. You know, we talked about the the, the main characters there having their sort of very simple motivations. So, um, you know, McConaughey's character almost has this sort of existential crisis about his desire to be back in space. Um, but he has sort of accepted the fact that that's not going to happen for him anymore. And he is, mm-hmm. he's, um, a single father. I mean, his father-in-law lives with him and his children, uh, and they both kind of take care of the kids. Um, but his wife had passed away, um, from, from cancer and he just seems like this depressed man who is going, who is like conceited to be unhappy for the rest of his life for the sake of doing the right thing and being a responsible parent. And the only thing that shakes him out of that is basically necessity 
for the survival of the planet. Yeah. <laughs> and even that is a real um, pull, you know, a real tension for him mm-hmm. to decide to go through with. Yeah. And yeah. Um, he has, you know, he has a son and a daughter. Um, and the daughter and his connection with his daughter is, is stronger than that with his son. Um, and it's interesting. He would have all of this, um, experience in, in space. Um, well, not in space, but you know, like being a NASA pilot and, and, um, having that sort of dream to keep exploring, but, they are, but but also you find out early in the movie, and this I thought was a really entertaining scene, um, that society has kind of become a post, uh, post space yeah. education society. Like, I'm, yeah. um, he has to go to a parent teacher conference, um, because his daughter, he had given his daughter one of his old history test books that had things about the moon landing and astronomy and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, um, and that she gets in trouble because the current history textbooks taught that the moon landing had been faked mm-hmm. and he is in the only McConaughey way, like super chill, but is just like aghast <laughs> that they're actually treating this as real. He's like, yeah, you're, you're telling them we didn't go to the moon. And 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 she's like, yep. I I believe that we both we wanted we convinced Russians we went to the moon, and I was just oh yeah. man, and it was such a man, Tim, it was such a 2020 scene, like yeah, yeah. it's like what if like QAnon had taken over our schools, <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, oh man, it, it was it was hard to sit through because you were just feeling so angry like for mm-hmm. him in yeah. that scene and. Um, but anyway, they, they, they establish in that scene that society really thinks very little of technology. Yeah. Um, and even McConaughey's, man, I feel bad. I don't remember. Maybe somewhat, sometime after that, he's talking with John Lithgow, you know, and saying, you know, we don't look up at the stars and wonder anymore. We're too busy looking at some, some sort of phrase, but it kind of sets this idea of like, yeah, we're not like filled in awe and curious, you know, filled with awe and curiosity of the stars. We're, we're kind of. And maybe part of that's just, you know, fighting, trying to survive, you know, maybe that's not even, uh, you know, something that we're, we're neglecting, you know, because we don't care anymore, but maybe it's just like, Hey, we need to <laughs> do, do, I don't know. But, but yeah, he did say something like that where I was like, yeah, this emphasis on lack of, of wonder, lack of, uh, imagination. Yeah. The quote is, and you're right. Yeah. He was sitting on the front porch with, with Lithgow and just I almost saying, did the, the, the accent too. I just can't you know, do, do the accent. <laughs> We used to look up at our at the sky and wonder about our place in the stars. No, uh, we used to look up at the sky and wonder at our place in the stars, and now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I will say the visuals in this film are not not just in space, but on yeah. Earth too, are incredible. So apparently, um, let's see if I can find the um, the, the the dust clouds were man made. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the film so like uh, um, and there uh, you, you see um, actually I think it's shots of the like PBS um, Dust Bowl documentary mm. I think in the beginning yeah I remember reading um, that yeah but they're showing they're interspersing that with actual footage in the film of, of, of um, what's happening when these dust clouds come and, and um, for lack of a better word attack uh, 
houses and, and properties. And um, they use large fan, fans to blow cellulose-based synthetic dust uh, to create these giant dust clouds. And um, they would shut down all the windows and everything, but still, like, there would just be, like, mounds of dirt. Like, you know, when you have a snowstorm or something like that and snow gathers up around the tires of your car if you haven't driven it uh, and stuff, you see that, but it's just dust. Um, and it's just... Um, it's just fascinating to think about how that was just destroying other crops. And there's this fantastic visual where they go to a baseball game and a yeah. storm is, is cropping up like in the distance. And also like also really funny too, just talking about how things have fallen apart. They're at a baseball game and, it, and, and from the looks of it, when the scene starts, you're thinking like minor league baseball mm-hmm. game or whatever. And John Lithgow is sounding like, you know, what kids would call today a boomer. Like he's just, <laughs> just grumpy and just like, in my day, like, why is everybody eating popcorn? I want a hot dog, you know? Yeah. You know, there's all this stuff. And it's like, and I can't believe it's like, this is not baseball. And they, and they're watching the New York Yankees. It's the New York Yankees playing baseball within these dirty uniforms. Mm-hmm. Like clearly, clearly this drought and this blight on earth has, has impacted every industry. Yeah. And, um, and uh, people are just struggling to survive and, and everything. So, um, but that being said, so uh, emotional, emotional film. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that emotion carried and born and expressed through McConaughey's character. Like, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm just very impressed with, uh, with this performance here. Um, might, um, well, no, I mean, listen, it, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's not even apples and oranges. It's, it's not even two, two kinds of fruit. It's like, it's like hamburgers and oranges here trying to compare, uh, McConaughey and interstellar and like Heath Ledger and the dark Knight. But I, I would say for non, for, for Nolan's quote unquote original stories, this might be one of the singular best performances, mm-hmm. uh, out of any of them, the way that he's, he's carried this. Um, so and inevitably he comes to the point where he has to decide to leave, to go to NASA. And it is a, uh, it is a heartbreaking scene because his daughter does not want him to go and he has to, or he's going to run out of time. Yeah. Uh, cause, um, time is very important in this film. And he, um, so he has to leave while they're still on bad terms. And then he drives away. And as soon as he's out of eyesight, she comes running out of the house. She's oh, changed. Man. Say goodbye. And it's just what so, <laughs> Oh gosh, it's so terrible. Uh, and it's, yeah, it, it hits you hard. Yeah. Um, in that film and he goes and he goes into space. Um, and so, yeah, this, the space travel, man, it is, uh, Ooh, I- it's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I don't even know how to. It, it is just, it is, it. There are so many scenes that kind of are reminiscent of like some of the great sci-fi films, like you know, two thousand one. Um, it it just was a gorgeous. I mean, just gorgeous to look at as they're yeah as they're traveling. Um, and and it's and it's interesting too because I feel like the cinematography wasn't that extra. It was very straightforward, but just what you were looking at was aesthetically. It was just so. I mean, I, you could tell there was so much care that went into like you mentioned the the image of the the uh, uh ship the ship yeah like <laughs> the ship you know going across saturn and then at one point you know near this black hole i mean it's just 
Yeah. So, so powerful and um, really beautiful filmmaking. The um, I'm glad you brought up the black hole too, because like yeah. I took, I took so much of this for granted. Um, cause, cause I know nothing uh, about it. <laughs> um, I want to see if I can find it here, but apparently like they did so much research on how to effectively mm. create the visual of a black yeah. hole. And, um, I'm not sure where I saw it, so I'm going to try. Maybe this is out. Maybe this is it. Let's see. Um, no, that's not it. Anyways, there is. Um, I'm going to try to do it from memory. But basically, I think it might have been Dr. Kip Thorne, who was the scientific sort of consultant that Nolan partnered up with on the film. Might have been him, or it might have been one of the visual effects people. But they had to create a CGI program. So not only not only did they you know create it, but like they 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 created the program that created it, and it ran like I want to say like eight terabytes um, of data to to be able to create, um, <laughs> and and the process by which they described the visual and the function of the black hole. I want to say it was Dr. Thorne who did this, but maybe it was somebody else. He wrote two separate academic papers about it. One for the scientific community and one for the graphic design community, like, um, in wow. both how it actually functions theoretically and how it was, and how the process they went through, through creating it, mm-hmm. um, for, for film to make it look so accurate, um, which oh, is just bananas. Like, yeah, the, the idea uh, and, and, and sort of the experience that they tried to portray in the film when they actually travel through it as well is, mm-hmm. is um, as close to theoretical reality, I think, as, as, as we've seen, mm-hmm. at least in a mainline Hollywood film. Yeah. Um, and it is, oh, it's just, it's just uh, astounding. Um, yeah. I want to say, oh, oh, another thing. Um, it was, I think, I don't know if it was Nolan's most expensive film to date, but based on the runtime, get ready for this, Tim, (laughs) this film cost about $975,000 per minute to make per minute. (laughs) Um, which Ooh. blows my mind. You know, yeah. sometimes you like to live out the fantasy of seeing an athlete's contract and figure out how much they make every day and be like, mm-hmm. must be nice. Yeah. This is, I mean, that's almost a million dollars a minute, you know, if you're, if you're estimating things here, uh, rounding up, but that is, I, <laughs> that's incredible. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness they made their money back. Um, yeah. <laughs> Because uh, there wouldn't have been a Dunkirk yep. after this, or I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. How much should we go? I, I'm afraid to spoil too much, but should we talk a little bit about how they get to? So basically, they're they're trying to find habitable habitable. Is that the right way to say it? Habitable planets. Inhabitable. Inhabitable. Wait a minute. Does that mean you can't inhabit them? No, it means you can't <laughs> inhabit them. I think. Inhabit. Habitual. <laughs> They're, they're looking for planets. So they're looking for somewhere you can live. Exa- yeah. 
<laughs> so like I guess like ten or so years ago, they sent um like a crew out, you know, a, a group of people out, and they all went to their own planets to kind of um basically find and see what could sustain life. And they did this through a wormhole they found in Saturn or, or near Saturn. Using the time trusted time tested, whatever the phrase is, technique of explaining how a wormhole yeah. works in yeah. space travel movies. Oh, which if you've never thing. seen the space oh, travel movie, you see is you draw two dots on a piece yeah. of paper and you want to say the mm-hmm. fastest point path to point A to point B is a straight line, right? Yeah. No, then you fold up the paper and you yeah. stick the pencil through it instead. Yeah, and that is traveling through a wormhole. Beam. And what I loved is that they were telling this to Coop, who like, we're like, they're like, you didn't, you didn't hear about the wormhole before you went on. The, I mean, I, I right. know you did, but it was just funny this idea of like he just agreed to do this thing. Not He's like, I just want everything. to go into space and yeah. save the world. Yeah, yeah. everything. <laughs> he is, he is the most. Um, he he is most he is the most of the viewer in in this film. Like he, he we we are definitely going along the ride with him. Yeah, Whenever yeah, yeah, information yeah. comes out, he's like, "I'm sorry, excuse me, what?" Um, <laughs> and he he's yeah. basically their pilot. Yeah, like is all it was. Yeah. Um, Which yeah. there's one side of me that's like, well, that's crazy that he would agree to do this and not know all the components to it or all that was involved. But then there's another side of me that's well, this is so dire. He's willing to do things that he right. doesn't completely have, you know, complete knowledge of. So that it kind of made a little more sense that way. Like, oh no, this is a re- this needs to happen. He's trying to save his family. He's going to do it, not knowing all the details. NASA has sold him on the stakes. Yeah, and yeah. sold him on the fact that he's the only person who can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, can pilot the the ship yeah so yeah like so like tim said there was a previous expedition there are theoretically they again this this is how they're speaking because they don't know until they get out there Mm -hmm. three other planets and they're going to try to find out which one is the most easy to live on um (laughs) that has the most sustainability um and (laughs) so they have to travel through the galaxy like through the wormhole in, uh, near Saturn to find these other places and determine which one is best, uh, best to live on. And so they have these like beacons or something like that to locate each place and then, uh, and then return, um, you know, and, and save the rest of humanity. So, um, yeah, the, yeah, so time plays a very interesting role in this. And it's speaking of which, you know, and not just time, but McConaughey's uh, ignorance of time. Mm-hmm. Well, I should say ignorance, not like in him being stupid, but just yeah, yeah. him not tell, telling him the whole truth. Yeah, that's not his expertise. You know, that's not where he, you know, that's not what he learned. You know, it's. So um, Tim and I were talking about this before. You know, the, the, the compelling thing about Inception. Um, was the idea that years of time could pass in your mind in a matter of minutes. Uh Um, Depending on how deep in a dream you stayed, you could live lucidly for a very long time and then wake up and you've only been out for a few hours. Yeah. Well, here you have sort of the opposite issue. So the uh, first planet, don't ask us to explain how this works because I don't know. I can't do it. But um, 
they that is explained to them that once they touch down, like, and I want to say an hour maybe mm-hmm. is like seven years or something like I forget what it is, but there's yeah. there's a there's a major time discrepancy, mm-hmm. so which instills just immediate dread and it stakes and urgency in the mission because they're already, you know, so many light years away from earth because they passed through the wormhole. And, and I think McConaughey already accepted that he was going to be gone for a long time, Mm -hmm. but then only to, to discover that how much time they risk to lose when that happens. Um, yeah. What happens from that? And um, naturally, when they land on this planet, they run into some conflict. <laughs> um, which, uh, which, by the way, I think before I continue, <laughs> um, Bill Irwin is the voice of a of a robot uh, assistant, basically that they have. Think think of like if R two D two actually had C three PO's voice, maybe. Like, you know, R2-D2's personality with C-3PO's communication, Mm -hmm. like very prim and proper, but also like built-in humor and sarcasm and stuff. Um, Some of my favorite moments are are between McConaughey and the robot, like talking about, (laughs) you know, what is your humor level? Like, he's like, oh, 80%. Let's let's knock that down to 75. Like, because he was, you know, know, making jokes about them dying up in space and everything or, you know, him turning turning sentient on them and killing them or something. And he's like, yeah, that's not funny. Let's lower <laughs> that percentage a little bit. Um, so it was a pretty, uh, yeah, that, 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 that was a great, if there's any levity to be had and that this tense sort of second act of the mm-hmm. film, um, it's, it's between, between them and, uh, between the robot and everybody really, but mainly McConaughey, he's the only one that really talks back to him. A lot, yeah, you know, yeah. A lot, lot like he's another person. Um, <laughs> and so what's so heartbreaking in this film is when they return from the first planet, which they find out naturally they're going to three planets. The first one's not going to be, yeah, yeah, to be yeah. you know, inhabited. Quick moving. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, it's over. Hey, um, yeah. On to the next one. Mm. Um, they come back and, and much more time has passed than they had originally planned for. And they have this uh, communication station on the ship that relays back to Earth. And um, prior to them jumping through the wormhole, I think maybe. Yeah. They're still within sort of range to record outgoing messages to Earth to their families and stuff. So he does that and everything. And then he comes back. Uh, and once they're out of the wormhole range, I, again, don't understand how this works, but whatever, yeah. I'm on for the ride. They're yeah. still able to receive messages, but they cannot transmit out. Yeah. Um, and so he sits down and realizes he, he's, I'm just going to say he's been gone a long time. Yeah. And he has to sit and he sits down and he watches a series of messages from his family and he, his, the life of his family literally is flashing before his eyes. And you got it. It's a shame because it's become a meme now. Yeah, um, yeah. The of of him sitting in this in in the in the chair in the spaceship and just like going from laughing to crying to mm-hmm. shaking and all this other stuff. But in its original context, it was one of the most 
emotionally impactful moments that Nolan's ever put to film. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, and oh, gosh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, one of one other thing about that is um, I I can never remember the guy's name, but one thing they did as well. No, no, no. Um, no the other rock, I can't, it starts with an R. The other character who stayed on the communicate like yes. the ship, mm-hmm. um, who didn't go down to the planet to kind of save them the extra weight. And he said, "Oh well, if you're just gone, you know, maybe thirty minutes, I'll just be up here for a few years without you, and I can do a lot of research and kind of do do studies and that sort of thing." And they ended yeah. up being gone like over twenty years, and he just had, I mean, and just that realization of when you when they get there and they see him, you know, he's much older. Oh he's my gray. goodness, he's he's gray. gray. Yeah, and he's and, just like, oh yeah, I thought you guys had died, but well, yeah. and he oh, said man. they said to him too, David Giassi. Yeah, Giassi. yeah, yeah. Oh, um, man, I think that's him. Anyways, um, he uh, the the thing that kind of. The thing that broke <laughs> broke my heart about that scene too is when they come back and they're like, "Well, why didn't you put yourself in hypersleep?" By the way, they have hypersleep mm-hmm. to because they had already been in hypersleep for like nine months on the way from like Earth to Saturn or something mm-hmm. like that, um, and so already lost so much time. And he's like, "Oh, I did." <laughs> he's like, yeah. "I did go to hypersleep for quite some time." Um, and then I just got up again or something. I can't remember yeah. what happened, but it just, just realizing how much, how much had, had, had been lost is, it's just so, yeah. so heartbreaking. And I, um, and you know, you see that and then, um, I kind of spilled the cat out of the bag, but obviously McConaughey sees his children grow up into being adults. And, um, Casey Affleck plays his grown son and Jessica Chastain plays his, his grown daughter. And, um, and you see, smaller um scenes uh, yeah. back on earth still with how they have functioned in mcconaughey's absence um mm-hmm. which is also hard to watch too and yeah. and, and, and scenes it's just really just just heavy there's a lot of tension there because they both had differing i think differing opinions you know you know his daughter all of her resentment really i think at the end of the day came from came from her love for him. Mm. Like she just yeah. didn't want to lose him. She understood what he was doing and why he had to do it, but she just didn't want to be without him. Like the kid doesn't want to be without her dad. And, but her son, his son, like he, um, he just had a different relationship with They didn't explore it too much really in the film, yeah. but it, it was just so clear from the beginning that they didn't have the connection that uh he did with his daughter and that just grows you know that distance grows in their absence um Mm -hmm. and um and those so that ends up kind of pitting them against one another in a manner of speaking um when things continue to get worse on earth um which is really hard but um so they have to go to another planet again and um they end up finding i don't know i don't really get into all the adventures on the planets you guys should really just watch it if you if you if you haven't <laughs> um because because you still have this sort of um uh you know the sort of rush of stakes versus time and and everything and um that leads me a little bit into um into the score of the film which uh once again oh man uh done by Hans zimmer 
Um, I, I am, I'm of the opinion. Let me see if I can just pull up real quick before I really commit to this statement. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyways. Uh, I am of the opinion that Hans Zimmer does, with the exception of the original Lion King, that Hans Zimmer does his best work when he's working with Nolan. Um, his his uh, un, undeniable best work. He was um, he was actually nominated for so he actually won best original score for Lion King okay, at the Academy Awards, but he was nominated for three of his Nolan films for best original wow. score for Inception, for Interstellar, and for Dunkirk. Um, and That's now awesome. I want to know why Interstellar didn't win. I'm because, very curious too. Yeah, this would have been 2014. Mm-hmm. Let's see. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Gosh, that was a great score. But man, Interstellar. I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like, oh, man. I re- oddly, I really do remember loving the Grand Budapest Hotel score. Like, that's still one of Beth, my wife's ringtones, is one of a song. Really? Still to this day. <laughs> it just really stuck with us. But man, the Interstellar, it's just. It. Oh, man, that's tough. That's Inception, tough. Inception lost to the social network. Um, oh, wow. which was done by Trent Reznor from oh, Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. Um, and I will say this. I don't know if the Academy had, uh, you know, sort of a unfair feeling towards towards Interstellar in 2014, mm-hmm. but the very previous year, the, the other space film, Gravity, mm-hmm. won, won Best Original Score. So I wonder oh. if they were at all turned off by the fact that Gravity had won the year before. And yeah. you have you know, this space thriller, Mm. you know, drama, uh, the next year. So that's, that's a possibility. I don't know. Um, yeah. So it is, um, so I've said before, um, Zimmer, particularly when he's working with Nolan has this fantastic gift for, um, really using, the score as almost another character and creating the drama and emotion in the scene. And like, yeah. I, I know some level, every composer is supposed to do that, but I'll, but I'll beat this dead horse again. Like, you know, with, <laughs> like with John Williams, I find myself like kind of singing along with his songs on the, with his mu- music, um, particularly his yeah. big hits, you know? Um, but with Zimmer, like one, his stuff is harder to sing along to. Yeah. Um, and two, like, I don't know, you just, you just almost ingest his score. Like it, he just, it's like, he just lays it on your shoulders while you're sucked into the story. Mm -hmm. It's just a layer. And, and, and saying that it's just a layer kind of makes it sound like it's not as good as it really is, but like it, it, it is a necessary piece of, of the puzzle that's being put together, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, um, boy and it's you know it's a corner piece man it's just it's a it's great stuff and so um i i find this appreciation more uh this this most recent time around the the first time i could have sworn and 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 to my to my research i'm not correct on this but the first part of the score you're ever introduced to 
to my recollection, is uh, Coop waking up in his in his house and opening up his curtains and looking out at the oh, field. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just this slowly building louder and louder um, chord from a, from a pipe organ, um, and that chord itself sounds exactly like the final note of um i'm not going to call it by its original title because i don't actually know how to pronounce it so i'm sorry but um it's a film it's it's the theme from uh, 2001 uh um, oh, okay, okay. or wrestling fans would know uh the theme song for rick flair uh it's just it so it's just that <laughs> it, it it ends with this big bombastic you know dun, 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 and that, that last note um you actually um hear if you listen to the song in its totality um you hear that that organ chord kind of trail off as the last note and um and it sounds just like it but no no one i've seen on the internet has made that distinction so uh, other than noticing a familiarity um but not saying that it was directly inspired in any way um that being said there is a really interesting story about Zimmer's uh, composition of this soundtrack from mm-hmm. Nolan, in that Nolan didn't tell him anything uh, about the movie this time um, prior to it happening. He said, and I'm going to try to find multiple uh, tellings of this so I can get kind of a complete story here. So bear with me for a second. Um, but it, apparently, they uh, he was very secretive. Um, so composer Hans Zimmer was instructed by Christopher Nolan to make a unique score. He said, it's time to reinvent the endless string ostinatos need to go by the wayside. The big drums, big drums are probably in the bin. Nolan did not provide Zimmer a script or any plot details for writing of music for the film and instead gave the composer one page of text that quote, had more to do with Zimmer's story than the plot of the movie. Mm. Um, and Nolan himself, he just says, I'm going to give you an envelope with a letter in it, one page. It's going to tell you the fable at the center of the story. You work for one day, then play me what you've written. And that <laughs> oh was the, that was the genesis, at least, of this yeah. fantastic score. Um, wow. It, yeah. And it is... Um, it's it's really hard to put into words like the way that it fits in the scenes um and the um and the level at which the music is constructed to like um Mm -hmm. and how how it is met with time um there was something about like the beats per minute in one of the songs as well that was um also met to like be very precise um to to fit the level of um um urgency in the mm-hmm. story so it says um several tracks of hans zimmer's original score were recorded at the tempo of a beat per second so 60 beats per minute um precisely matching the passage of time a recurring theme of the movie these keens include imperfect lock no time for caution which is the docking scene and the varying portions of stay in the mountains the water planet and detach so um it's just really interesting how um how they would care at this deeper level to have 
the the score be so harmonious with the rest of the film mm-hmm. um which i don't know if that's nolan or if that's zimmer or if that's just how they work together but um it's just really really impressive and um there is a um a climactic scene where um mcconaughey as the pilot has to make this really to call it a landing is weird yeah. because they're in space but I'm gonna call it a landing a docking they have to yeah, they have to yeah. get the docking station but the docking station is basically damaged and spinning so like they it's it's a near impossible endeavor and um the score just ramps up your anxiety like oh, 10 man uh in this and it's just uh which i feel really bad saying is so good because <laughs> uh, because good is not really that that what i just described is not a good thing but it just um it really it raises the stakes of the whole scene yeah. and um and as you see the film progress and like we talked about that scene of coming off that planet and losing all those years um, hmm. knowing what is at stake with them and how much time they're losing. And like, cause, cause if they continue to lose time at this rate, they could get back to earth and all the people they love will be dead, yeah. you know, and not from necessarily from the drought either, just from old age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is a, um, it, there's, there's a crazy sense of, um, proportional urgency <laughs> going on. Yeah. Um, and it's really, it's, it's hard to explain, but it's fascinating to watch play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the score because, oh, man. I remember, yeah, the first time around loving it, but this time it just really, really resonated, really stood out. Really, I feel like it really accentuated, like you said, a lot of the more dramatic scenes, but then also kind of accentuated the, the vastness of space. And it really, I don't know, it helped sort of, pushed out of that that scope of you know of galaxies the scope of just the, the vast expanse i don't i don't know it's hard to explain but it, it was just it was fantastic yeah it really makes you appreciate the scope mm-hmm. of space like it, yeah. i mean I'd, it's it's such an asset to the yeah. film um i'm really glad we have taken on this project because um i i highly undervalued Hans Zimmer as a composer before we started this. Um, I always tie, I always tied him to, uh, the dark Knight trilogy and the pirates of the Caribbean movies. And I was just like, Oh, uh, secondhand. (laughs) And and in my mind, I was just like secondhand John Williams. Like that's, that's who you are. Um, and you know, like knowing the dark Knight films, like it it fits for those films, I guess. But Mm -hmm. like, even then Danny Elfman, I thought did a better Batman score than, than, than he did. And I, and I yeah. still think that, but yeah. <laughs> that, but the thing is, is that, you know, I took completely undersold and, 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 and also, um, I've, I've, I've noticed that I've said this in both episodes too, both inception and interstellar. I had, um, narrowed down to just one noise, <laughs> um, the, the pipe organ or the, you know, blah, um, for inception. And yeah. so, but his, his, uh, his layers are so richer. And, and deeper. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that is a real testament, you know, um, Tim, I don't know if you ever did this, uh, with our various communications work, but inevitably 
with a communications degree. I ended up being the sound guy at my church at that first season of life. And yeah, there are points of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one thing, uh, we can, we can both, I'm sure Tim will agree with me on this. Um, one thing that, uh, you will find true of any sound man or woman is that, um, you are doing your best work when everyone's ignoring you. Um, the only time you get attention is if you've royally, royally taken the attention away from what's going on. And that's usually because of a mistake. Um, there's nothing more terrifying than the looks of heads turning. Yeah. Turning around. Yeah. It's it's awful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so I will say Zimmer is particularly in these Nolan films is a Supreme sound man. Like he, he keeps everything running smoothly and, and it's not that you don't notice the score is there, but you don't get pulled out like, 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 like Ledger as the Joker, right? He was so good. Sometimes I got pulled out of the movie with how impressed I was by him, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, yeah. He, he was just, he was almost better than the movie, you know? But this is like the supreme, the highest level of bestness, no, no, that's not a word, but whatever, <laughs> um, that I can give because it achieves its maximum quality without taking your attention away from what's happening. And now one thing I will say about this film, much like Inception, it's hard to watch at home. It was certainly made to see in theaters um, because of the mixing, the sound mixing again. Um, we started off the uh, early on in the podcast talking about how this was such a small film in t- in terms of s- story motivations and relationship and and stuff like that um so a lot of the conversations are really intimate and quiet but mm-hmm. the f- the the score and and the sound effects and everything are so bombastic and loud yeah. so uh it, it works better in a larger room <laughs> um <laughs> uh, so if you're just yeah. kind of watching this on your phone or something like that you're I don't know how good of a time you'll have with the audio, um, but it's but it's a phenomenal soundtrack and uh, certainly deserved its nomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, that yeah, year. absolutely. Oh man, yeah, it's just a it, it's it's a it's a great it's a great film. I, I don't know uh, what I, well. I let me go back down and talk a little bit more about it. Um, should we should we go into like one of the big kind of character reveals kind of midway through or maybe not yeah, i don't know I mean, listen we can go as deep as That's you want to go the, been, the thing oh, is wow. that the film is six years old at this point yeah. And, and yeah so go for it man yeah no i would just say there is a really interesting uh kind of surprise antagonist i mean i don't know antagonist may not even there i word, but towards you know, the middle of the film they go to one of these planets actually the second... I, i'm sorry talking about the second one yeah yeah the second planet okay Um, after you know spending too much time on the first planet you know which ended up being 20 it's like 25 almost 25 years and Um, they were gone for like 45 minutes to an hour or something like that man yeah oh man so they have this decision after that there's two other planets and they can only probably make it to one and then make it home so they have to kind of choose and there's one where uh, Anne Hathaway's character, Brand, is that her name? Brand? Yes. Um, so there's one place that she, you know, a character she has a relationship with, she's in love with. But then this other character who, um, you know, he he's kind of regaled as like the, what, what do they call him? Like the most, his name is Dr. Man. <laughs> but yeah, he is uh, one of the, 
one of the greatest humans. I don't, I can't remember. They, they had these interesting descriptors of him. Yeah. Um, and they definitely, the rest of the ship, the rest of the crew had placed their faith in his possibilities to find something yes. more yeah. than her boyfriend. Yes. And he also had like a beacon or was he basically, he was sending out a signal saying, Hey, this, this is a good spot. Even yeah. though when they, you know, closer examination of both planets, it seemed like the person she, you know, she was in love with Dr. Edmund. I think that's his name. Yeah. Um, it seemed like a better place. They're so like, well, if, if, you know, we trusted this guy above all else, Dr. Man, and he says it's a good place. Let's go to it first. And they do. And, um, they get there and they kind of bring him out of sleep out of the uh, hibernation or what is there's a word oh well yeah cryogenic or something yeah cryosleep (laughs) um and it's 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 one of those kind of interesting like i i I didn't know this until seeing it 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 was one of those kind of surprise casts just spoiler sorry uh it was matt damon dr Uh, matt damon yeah Just the, it turns out they were on Mars. It was uh, the Martian. <laughs> oh god! Growing potatoes out of his yeah. poop and all this stuff. Yeah, it's just it's weird. <laughs> oh man! And so yeah, so he he's you know happy to see them. Obviously, I mean he's like just yeah. starts weeping. I mean when they when he I know and that too, man. Like just what? that scene alone. Yeah. So evocative of like the um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Tim. No, 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 it's okay. You get back to it. Something this film does so well is really demonstrate the linger, and this this could be useful for right now. You know, living in the COVID world and the isolation that everybody's put themselves under. But yeah, the um, the power that loneliness has Mm -hmm. on a person and the need to to be near another person yeah yeah it's it's pretty incredible and and so incredible it gets to the point and this is why i I think it's such an interesting character i mean this is supposedly one of the the you know most again most notable most inspiring the the best of us the best of us yeah the best of us that's one thing they say and he takes McConaughey out and it takes Coop out to show, you know, kind of show him somewhere. But the intent is to kill him in order to have his spot on because the place is inhabitable. And here's the, the, the devastating part is he told, I can't remember. Who, I think he told McConaughey um, that he knew within five minutes of landing that yeah. this place. And he didn't know if he'd see anybody ever again. Oh yeah. man. And so he just didn't want to be alone anymore. Yeah. Like he wasn't some, some evil, no, um, he, you know, he was just desperate to not be alone. And he he's the best. You know, he was the best of us. He was the one that like <laughs> and and he he failed. I mean, he I mean, he not failed, but he he was that determined to not be alone that he was willing yeah. to sacrifice somebody else. Um, and it was so sad. He was so apologetic. I mean, it was it was this just odd moment. It was of, an odd scene where he's basically trying to kill McConaughey and he's so apologetic the yeah. entire time. Like he's, like, his, his guilty conscience is overwhelming, yeah. but he not enough to make him stop. Yeah. He was that determined to not be alone. And he was going to sacrifice someone. Um, and I thought that was an interesting twist on, it's just it's not this outright bad guy, this outright villain. It's just somebody who's desperate. And yeah. Oh, such a, such an interesting kind of twist, you know, midway ish, a little more than midway through the and film. That, and that's a strong lesson 
to, you know, when it comes to sort of judging the actions of desperate people, Mm. like, listen, there are actions and activities and behaviors that, that we all universally would condemn, but you also, you know, don't want to just align yourself solely to, to the behavior Mm -hmm. in, in casting judgment, but really try to understand and empathize the, um, the place that that person is coming from and that doesn't nece- that's not necessarily going to excuse the behavior or anything like yeah, that yeah but it does i would say at least you know provide a different perspective yeah you know on things because we're seeing all kinds of things happen in the world in our country right now where people are not people are making destructive decisions and stuff but are you just going to look at what's happening and be like oh i can't believe these people are you going to seek to understand what might be motivating them to do mm. that because doing that doing the latter could could lead to more uh illuminating possibilities of how to resolve these issues rather than just condemning people's reactive reactive uh decisions yeah you know? yeah definitely but yeah, Damon tries to escape, <laughs> and oh, gosh. Uh, and uh, that was also another intense scene, thanks to Mister Zimmer, and yeah. uh, and the plot. They are chasing him down, and he's trying to get to the docking station first. And it's uh, it's a real boy. That's it's just a real tense scene. Yeah. Um, so and this is. I mean, I guess we've given away so much, but I I love the moment where, where they're warning the bait. He thinks they're telling him not to do this because. They don't, you know, Coop and others don't. He doesn't want to get trust on them because he, he doesn't... just tried to kill. Them. Yeah, yeah. But they're like, no, you don't know how to do this correctly. You, this is a new docking. You know, this is not what you've done before. Right. Don't open this hatch, or you're gonna die. And he, you know, obviously doesn't listen. And he's about to give his sort of like speech of like why he's doing this and how why it's noble. And before he has a chance, he opens the door mm. and dies. Yeah. I, I love, I love that touch. I thought that was so great he doesn't have his chance to like give his like doesn't get of, to monologue yeah it was i kind of yeah. loved it <laughs> yeah it's a small so thing but i really enjoyed it yeah enjoyed is a weird word but yeah no, no i get i get <laughs> got you on that it's it's it was a you know i mean listen after what he did to the cast that we have kind of grown up with in this film it's kind of satisfying <laughs> you know <laughs> um in its own way but um, yeah, you know, Rotten Tomatoes gave this film a 72, um, which I have to step out of myself for a second and remember yeah. that means seven out of 10 people like this movie. It doesn't yeah. mean they think it's a D, you mm. know. Um, so it's, yeah. uh, you have to kind of remember that when you're reading Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I can't remember which one, but it's in the top 250 mm-hmm. in IMDb. Um, it's one of five or six of nolan's films yeah on, on and the on imdb's top 250 yeah um and uh so yeah i think it's might maybe even in the top 50 mm-hmm. of the top two maybe so, um i think it's in the 40s somewhere yeah um but anyway it's uh yeah it's 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 well deserved mm-hmm. yeah um and uh just excellent excellent sure. film excellent drama yeah. i feel like there's I, a a lot of really tidy ways that it kind of wraps up at the end that I was like, I don't know, just felt kind of like it skipped a lot. I don't yeah. know. I don't want to get too into it, but I think that's my, the only part where I felt kind of like, Oh man, this just really works out really nice. It's kind of a, a happier ending than maybe yeah. should have been not, I don't know, but 
that was I think that was the only spot where I just felt kind of it kind of took me out where I just it just felt very coincidental that so many of these things happened to where things worked out well if that makes sense do you mean like the very end or what you would kind of call the climax of the film the climate surprise of this time around i actually enjoyed that a lot yeah i enjoyed the climax a lot better this time yeah and we'll we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this okay yeah, w- without that. going too deep so <laughs> in in the beginning we can't go too deep because yeah. i don't understand it enough yeah. to do that um it, early on in the film before he even leaves earth um his daughter murph um, keeps talking about like a, like any young child. She's mm. probably elementary school aged, I think, at this point, mm. maybe like or, or yeah, maybe middle there. school, maybe young middle school, um, or older elementary. And she's talking about a ghost being in a room, to which everybody's always like, "Yeah, okay, Murph, whatever," you know. <laughs> and, and and you know, they he's uh, encouraging her to think scientifically about things, you know, as as a father and as the man that he is and stuff. And they go to look at her room and like books have fallen off her bookshelf. And, um, it had been after one of those dust storms. So dust had like come in through her window. Mm-hmm. They've forgotten to close, but the dust is lined up like in a certain weird way, like, like it had been arranged and stuff. And, um, but he just kind of tries to explain our way rationally. Yeah. Um, come to find out, at the at the near the end of the film, um, Coop ends up by himself. Well, with with Tars, yeah. the, the robot, <laughs> um, as his companion, and um, he ends up going th- through the black hole, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and cannot explain it really from there. It just gets weird. Yeah, um, <laughs> not quite two thousand one weird, ends- but weird. Yeah. Yeah, he's not not Kubrick weird. Yeah, not Kubrick. <laughs> this 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 is like a, a half Kubrick. Yeah, um, he basically ends up on the other side of the bookshelf, mm-hmm. but he's in this sort of nexus of time. So he's like stuck in the same place, but he can access any point in time mm-hmm. from that place. Um, the visual is astounding in yeah. this. Like it's it's, it's really very, interesting. It's really mesmerizing. And it blows me away that McConaughey's character is able to figure out what's actually happening yeah. um, in this. But he is um, trying. And so, it, you know, he's the ghost and he never yeah. knew it. Um, and so he's trying to communicate with his daughter how to how to save the planet. Um, and, um, and and at first he tries to get her to make him stay to make mm-hmm. him not leave um which is oh gosh yeah so so emotional um yeah. but then he he is able he finds out he's able to communicate with her at any point in time and so he tells his adult daughter how to um how to how to how to save the world basically yeah. <laughs> um and it is uh and, and and that the first time i watched it i was like it kind of reminds me of that film critic who who dumped on the prestige a little bit saying, you know, if you had told me it was a science fiction movie, then you should have just told me and I would have been OK with it. But it's yeah. just weird. Yeah. Um, I felt like that the very first time I saw it. I'm like, OK, so he's just went through a black hole and now he is 
able to communicate through dimensions or something. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. Why not? You know, um, <laughs> but I will say that there's a very, it's kind of a, it's not a blink and you'll miss it conversation, but there is an established, you know how Nolan loves his rules, mm-hmm. but they talk about, uh, Nolan and not Nolan, uh, McConaughey and Hathaway have this interesting discussion, theorizing the quantitative effects of love. Um, and she talks about how enduring it is, how, how it's so much more than just a social attachment, um, and how it has deeper profound power. And like, theoretically, could that have some sort of manifestation, you know, like, um, I'm kind of making up what she's saying now, but they have a, they have a deeper, she, she, in this conversation with her and the other crewmates, um, kind of established that it is a theoretical possibility that love could, could, um, be more powerful than, um, than it, than what it seems it's cracked up to be. Mm. Um, and I'm looking to see if I can find that quote, um, to make it a little bit more, cause it seems like it was an important part of the film. Okay. So anyway, so, so I'm going to read this exchange real quick. Thank you. IMDB. <laughs> um, uh, so the conversation is between, uh, um, yeah, Coop, which is McConaughey's character and brand, which is Hathaway's. And so Coop says, you know, you're a scientist brand. And she says, so listen to me when I say that love isn't something that we invented. It's observable, powerful. It has to mean something. And he says, love has meaning. Yes. Social utility, social bonding, child rearing. And she says, we love people who have died. Where's the social utility in that? And he says, none. She says, maybe it means something more, something we can't yet understand. Maybe it's some evidence, some artifact of a higher dimension that we can't consciously perceive. I'm drawn across the universe to someone I haven't seen in a decade, talking about her boyfriend, um, who I know is probably dead. Love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should just trust that, even if we can't understand it. All right, Cooper. Yes, the tiniest possibility of seeing Wolf, her boyfriend, again, excites me. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. Um, To which he skeptically says, it might mean wrong yeah um and that is a powerfully optimistic message uh in nolan's otherwise um dense and intense um drama here yeah um that love has a stronger power than what we might be willing to admit and you know we should not um I'm just editorializing at this point, but we should not allow ourselves to dumb down and cheapen love to, to the things that they initially said it was in that conversation, just social utility and things that I really do believe there is a, that the, the reality of true, true, you know, selfless and sacrificial love takes us higher places. It, it, it has higher value can accomplish greater things. Mm, uh, and, you know, we, we see those things on, on physical levels, on social levels, on spiritual levels, levels for sure. Um, I wouldn't say that goes without saying, cause I don't know who's listening, but it does, you know, in my house. Um, and so taking that idea that love can transcend time and space and putting it into the climax of the film, um, makes it a little more beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, 
once they've taken the time to have that conversation. Um, yeah. And so that, that means a little bit more and, and that and it's in that moment too. I don't think they flash back to it, but McConaughey has that revelation while he's in there. He's mm-hmm. like, it's because I love my daughter. Like that's why this is going to work, you know? Um, yeah. and, and then he has that moment and, and he's able to communicate with her. And, um, so it's really special. And yeah. I will say, yeah, the end after that is over, it does feel a little bit clean. Um, I'm, if if you if you given how deep in space and time he existed, yeah. <laughs> how how he ended up getting, uh, you know, he lives to the end of the film. Um, how he ended up getting rescued by anybody was is, is something interesting as well. Yeah, to behold. But I will say, I, I don't think the way this film is constructed that you can't begin this story the way you do mm-hmm. and not end it with him getting to see his daughter again. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So totally. uh, how, how you get there. Yeah. That that's questions left. Yeah. Me. <laughs> um, but, but you couldn't not get there. I think once mm-hmm. he, uh, once I, and I wasn't sure to be honest, they had me on the ride, uh, the first time I saw it, but once he ended up in that weird dimensionless place um oh, it's like okay he's he's gonna get through to her somehow yeah i don't i have no idea how and i'm probably not gonna understand it but he will mm. um oh and i'll say this too um so so yeah he wakes up in a hospital bed like he has been rescued somehow yeah. and he's asking where he is it's very like captain america first avenger kind yeah, of thing yeah. <laughs> like he seems like he's in this really familiar place only to realize he is way out of time mm-hmm. uh and they, he asks where he is and they say he's in Cooper station yeah. and he's like, he's like, Oh, well that was nice to name it after me because, Oh, we didn't name it after you. And they find out that they named it after his daughter because he gave her all the information she needed. And she was the saving grace of mm. NASA. And, and, and she was the one who saved the world, which, you know, as a, as a dad, uh, you know, to know that your kid superseded, you know, what you've been able to do in life is the, is a, is the good kind of heartbreak, you know, it's, yeah. uh, and so it's, uh, you see him wear that. Well, um, you know, the very, yeah. the very end, the absolute very last part of the movie is a little hokey, uh, to me. Yeah. You, you get the idea that he's going out to that third planet to try to find Anne Hathaway. She, yeah. they, they deviate at one mm-hmm. point. Um, yeah. I- and, I was a little, yeah, the whole kind of, you know, after not seeing his daughter for how, you know, decades and decades and almost her whole life, the reuniting scene just felt odd. It felt, I don't know. Well, I mean, they had missed what? Oh, so much. 70, 80 years together. That might spoil everybody. I mean, (laughs) it definitely, it definitely was going to be, you know, one thing I was, I, 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 thought was interesting and kind of confused by it first. But my wife put it into good perspective and she made a lot more sense than I did. Mm. Was that when he goes in to see her, she, you know, she's old. Like she's yeah. on she's on her deathbed at this point. And he has not changed at all. Yeah. Um and when he walks in the room, there's like four generations of his family yeah. sitting in that room and none of them know who he is. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and I was just like, you know and I said that to her and I was like, you kind of feel like She'd want to introduce him to his whole family, but but she had a good point that you know their their whole bond 
was really just between the two of them. He has yeah. no attachment to them. They have no attachment to him. She is probably doesn't have much time left given yeah. how much time they spent away from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so they just want to spend that time together and he's going on, you know, I, 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 I don't hate it, but yeah. you know, the idea that he's trying, you think he's going to find Anne Hathaway to go finally go live his life again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is which is an endearing thought. Yeah, but I yeah. also like to think I, I also like to think of it too though as he is embracing the life that you know that he he touches on it some before when he's trying to decide when he's lamenting the loss of things like space exploration mm-hmm. and still trying to determine if he should really take NASA up on their offer yeah. is that he was not made to be a farmer. You know, yeah. he was he was made to be an, you know much like Moana is yeah. made to be explorer, yeah. <laughs> not not a not queen of the coconuts, you know. Yeah. Like he, um, yeah, he's he's meant for different things, and so yeah, um, sure. in in a way, um, even though he's probably headed there to see her to find her, it's just as much the journey for him too, probably mm-hmm. to get to to get to really rest in in that part of his identity. Yeah. To be like, yeah, yeah. This this is who I am, and now I get to be who I am, and also in a this this doesn't sound nice, but he is no longer burdened. He he no longer has to carry the responsibility of parenthood because mm. his children have all outgrown him now, and so he no longer has any any other responsibilities or obligations as as a as a person. Um, cause he was, and I think John Lithgow said something like that to him. Maybe I'm imagining that early in the film. It's just like, you're the kind of person, you're the kind of man who would abide by what the right thing to do is, which is to stay yeah. and reach your kids and all this other stuff. Um, but you know, what are you made for? Yeah. Um, and so yeah. once he has kind of in a way fulfilled that obligation, he is now free to, indulge in in his you know meaning i guess um and what he's made for but um so so i can kind of think of it that way and not just he's gonna go find a girlfriend yeah (laughs) Um, because if christopher nolan has one more man run away with anne hathaway at the end of the movie like i'm just gonna (laughs) lose my mind (laughs) nothing against anne hathaway she seems like a lovely person uh and I, i like her very much as an actress but it's a little, it's a little repetitive. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, but listen guys, if if you have not seen interstellar or if you haven't revisited it in a while, you definitely should. Um, it's, it's worth any, any major Christopher Nolan release is worth owning. Um, if you are inclined to do so, uh, the most recent time I checked though, interstellar was available on, I think on the FX app. So if you have some kind of cable subscription and you can have like the fx on demand channel you can watch it there i think there's ads or is the maybe it might might also be on the imdb channel um i can't remember it's on one of those streaming services and you can certainly find it it's it's worth it's it's worth watching in any capacity yeah definitely absolutely well uh tim any any final words on um you know interstellar I don't, and I think we, I think we covered a lot of what I had. That was, oh man, I, I'm glad we're going through these. I feel like I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm feeling uh, much more affection towards them than I thought I would. This is, these are, these are great. 
Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us on the Better Than I Remember series as we travel through uh, Christopher Nolan's films. And um, (laughs) join us next time. Uh, We will be, this will be new for me. Um, It'll be a first time viewing for Dunkirk, uh, our final chapter in the Nolan series. uh, Now that Tenet is set to release uh, at at present time, I think in about a week or so. But Mm -hmm. uh, in in all reality, it's probably going to be a while before Tim and I can see that. Maybe if we can see it soon-ish, maybe we we can pull one more nolan episode out of ourselves but um yeah i'm excited i have not seen dunkirk at all um i know i mean i have a a rough under rough understanding of what it's about Uh, so i'm i'm excited to see that and experience it for the first time and uh, see where we go with that i understand tom hardy is in a mask again so that's great (laughs) um so anyway uh nolan knows what his fans love so you know Mm. he just he, he delivers oh yeah um Anyways, uh, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, feel free to um, follow us on Twitter at Pod Night Cheese. We're also on Instagram now too, um, uh, Night Cheese with Stephen and Tim. And um, yeah, keep listening, keep uh, keep downloading. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, if you have any requests, feedback, suggestions, things that you want to hear us talk about. Um, feel free to let us know. We'd be glad to have that discussion. All right, guys, until next time, keep working on your night cheese. We used to look up at our at the sky and wonder about our place in the stars.